Each one of us is a perfect crystalline snowflake. There's no one just like the other. Stories, however, remind us that we're all just made of snow. I'm Don Hall, and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Welcome to the final podcast of the first season as determined by the completely arbitrary number of 13. This is the last one for this season. Um, I'm going to take some time off, about six weeks, and I'm going to do a lot of recording. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a little while. As promised, uh, I I promised last week that it was going to be an all Lawrence Volbrecht, my dad, episode, but the sound quality on a big chunk of it was so compromised that I actually couldn't use it. Um, But I did manage to salvage one truly excellent entry for him, so look forward to that in this episode. Now, back in 19... 2000... what? What did I just say? Back in 2005, not 19, 2005, because that makes no sense at all. Back in 2005, I realized really two things. Uh, I was a shit playwright, but I loved writing. And I still, second, I still had some serious anger management issues. So I started blogging, and I did it every day for a decade. It solved both problems. No one's been subjected to any one of my awful plays ever again. And blogging became a bit like uh, like meditation or therapy. It was good stuff. I have a tendency to submerge myself into work. So when I have time off, part of that experience is kind of wrestling with my demons. And like anybody else, I've got demons. And anger is one of my demons. It's sort of my thing. This podcast has been, in some ways, a similar experiment, and I hope you come back in six weeks for season two. Now, like I said, the writing has a tendency to be very therapeutic, and so I do a lot of writing that never sees the light of day, but I'm going to read you a piece. I've got a piece that I wrote really for no one but myself, because this past year, if you've been following me, if you know me at all, you know that from July of last year to July now, has been an interesting year. A very interesting year in a lot of ways. And now that I've got time to sit around as a freelancer, I've I've got plenty of work and I'm generating lots of art and lots of stuff and I like that, that's fun. But it does give me more time to kind of sit with myself and have to let the Irish of of my nature sort of unleash all of the stuff that I've kind of been trying to deal with. So I do a lot of writing about that stuff. Um, So hopefully you'll enjoy this piece. This is sort of a wrap-up. I hope it's a wrap-up on Literate Ape. I've got another wrap-up that I put up yesterday. If you want to read that, that's got a little bit more information. Um, But uh, the idea is that I'm trying to put all of this nonsense to rest. 
I'm short-sighted. I have astigmatism in my left eye and wear progressive lenses, the modern term for bifocals, at the age of 51. I'm also blind when it comes to seeing and responding to those portents and signs of faulty wiring when it comes to people. I come by that part honestly. My dad, once he'd settled into an incredibly successful real estate business in middle America, took on three protégés within his embrace and failed to see that each would eventually clumsily chess move their way into stealing from him. This despite he and my mother welcoming each into their homes as members of their family. So it's not a surprise that when my second ex-wife cheated on me before we got married and I ignored that tendency that she'd spent the last year of our marriage in the bed of another man. It's also no big shocker that when the chips were down for the theater company I founded in 1992, the groomsmen at my wedding to the aforementioned second ex-wife went behind my back and had the building taken from me. The fable goes a little bit like this. The scorpion needs to cross the river and asks the frog for a ride. The frog wonders what kind of methamphetamine the scorpion is on to think that he would expect a ride when he would surely sting him to death. Scorpion convinces him that if he did sting the frog, they'd both drown. Halfway across, frog feels the stab, says, what the fuck, now we both die. Scorpion replies, eh, it's in my nature. What the fable doesn't tell you is that the frog is kind of stupidly arrogant. And the scorpion sting only wounds rather than kills. No scorpion murders his ride. It fails to point out that the scorpion usually goes on to the other side, leaving the frog to figure out how he could have been such a complete and obvious dumbass. But the, uh, you know, it's in my nature part, that's ironclad. So when he was assigned to me as my assistant and I found out he had gone behind the backs of several people and subtly sabotaged them to climb up to the position, I should have seen it coming. When she turned 180 degrees on a friend and a mentor calling him out on social media as a racist misogynist, I saw the behavior but somehow thought I was immune. He, when confronted with his duplicity, denied it, then apologized for it, then agreed it was to never happen again. So we began the task of my training him. I believe that one should train your replacement, and so I gave him plenty of opportunities to grow. He worked hard and improved. We became friends. He suggested we start a podcast together, and I thought, why not? I was his champion at work. I fought to get him raises and frequently won those fights. I recommended him for jobs outside the workplace. As a supervisor, when his fiancée had to have a tumor removed and he was terrified, I gave him as many comp days as he needed to deal with it. We created an interesting and successful podcast, and when it came time for him to get married, he asked me to officiate the, the ceremony. People referred to him as my work wife, so marrying him off to someone else seemed appropriate. She was an up-and-coming performer who routinely turned to me for advice. As a veteran in the field, I felt it was both my responsibility to be of help and my pleasure. She was raw, but talented, and truly excited about her future. I loaned her money, befriended her son, and supported her when things turned out sour in a relationship and she ended up having a miscarriage. We became friends. After some time, we drifted apart and she began to hang with a different crowd. When I decided that she had drunk a bit too much of the critical race theory and had become someone I simply didn't want to hear from anymore, 
I decided to do the simplest thing possible, unfriend her on Facebook. I sent her a personal email to let her know why and wish her the best. Two days later, the shit hit the fan. She had gone on a two-day tirade about what a racist, sexist piece of shit I was while I had her blocked on social media. She casually enlisted girlfriends and a few notables, ex-girlfriends rather, and a few notables who never liked me to begin with and in my absence trashed me with a vitriol only reserved for Guy Fieri and Pearl Jam. When I contacted her, she assured me that none of the trolling and pitchforks would have been necessary if I'd only given her a phone call. When her unsettling and unbalanced tirade caught up with public life, he took the opportunity to end the podcast and disavow me. Such was his loyalty and courage. She continued to harass me online, all the while painting my response I had to her ceaseless bullying as stalking. Much later, as he sensed a change in the structure of our workplace, he began manipulating the situation to slowly oust me from the job so he could take my place, conniving his way to the front much as he had just before I met him. She continued to openly trash me and my reputation just as she had her prior mentor and friend. To be fair, I feel a bit like a frog who carried two scorpions across and got stung both times, but not fatally. Both scorpions were carried across the river and now thrive in their own ways. I'm fine, but still ache from the wounds provided. As I say, I'm a bit short-sighted. But hindsight and experience provides clarity. And moving forward, I guess I'll do my level best to see the scorpions for what they are before putting them on my back. DMJ and I are currently in Kansas for the 4th of July, celebrating the birth of our nation, or the birth of the patriarchy, or the birth of slave owners uh, creating a system of government that we can either fuck up or make better, whatever you want. So I'm going to be getting some stories from my pops, as well as trying to get my mom and my sister to weigh in for a story or two, so hopefully those will be in there for the next season. Now for the next season, I'm going to have brand new music and I'm going to spend the next month and a half recording stories of those who don't get up on stage to tell stories. I'm going to spend uh, some time seeking these folks out, going around, just finding random people. I'm also going to be inviting people that have either I find interesting or have uh, expressed interest and get them to tell. I think it's going to be fun. I know it's going to be fun for me. I hope listening will be as enjoyable for you. But as a closer, uh, here is one more from Lawrence Volbrecht V to tide you over until I return. Well, I was telling you about Jerry that goes to church with your mother. Mm -hmm. And he comes out about every other month and we sit out there on a porch and drink scotch and smoke a cigar. And he's from Lakin, Kansas, which is 20 miles um, west of Garden City. And he's maybe four or five years older than me. But turns out he just came back from college when I went to Western Kansas at Garden City when I was out there. Never knew him when I was out there, but he knew a lot of the same people that I knew because being in the airplane business and where they 
where his dad and mother farmed and all those people are from. It's just flatter than a pancake and the dust blows all the time whether it's raining or not. It's just, it's, it's the armpit of the earth and everything. It's mostly in those days, back in the early 60s, it was all dry land wheat, which means you might get a crop two out of five years out of dry land wheat. The rain don't come right, you know. And they farm today, that acreage out there, um, two and three thousand acres at a time. It's no small farms. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, and well, the family farm was north of Lake and so on and so forth. He told me where it was at, and hell, I knew right where it was at. His mother had a brother, Willard, that never married. And Willard um, was the only one that wanted to farm out of all those kids. His dad run a body shop in Lakin. And so Jerry grew up and around the body and fender business in the 50s and 60s. And Willard would come to town once a month to take Jerry's sister, her mother, his sister, out to eat once a month. But when he came in, I mean, it was not air-conditioned cabs on the tractors in those days. <laughs> He'd be just covered in dirt. And he wiped his face off when he sat down at the table. But that was it. I mean, he was just a cake of dirt. But that's the way this guy lived. And he shaved once a month, whether he needed to or not. So the dirt and the dust and the weeds and the chaff, it all, you know, just hung on him everywhere. And in his hair, he had bushy hair. And he'd come in to take his mother to eat, and they'd go into Deerfield to the cafe. And that was his one social thing a month that he'd do. And he decided in about 1960, they came out with propane for tractors. And so he bought a propane tractor because they had on-farm delivery of propane and heated their house with propane. And he bought a propane tractor and he thought, well, shit, this is such good as he had an old truck converted to propane. And he saw how the guy did it and he thought, well, this is a pretty good deal. Now, the only thing he left to do was to convert his car to propane. So he figured it out how that truck because he used to be in the farm mechanic, figured out how he did it, so he went and got him a propane tank, took out, his four door, he had a four-door 50 Plymouth, and took out the back seat and put his propane tank in the back seat and converted the motor, got it all hooked up, pulled it over to the propane tank, about a 250-gallon tank, but he didn't fill it all the way up in case he needed to disconnect it, you know. So he just put a little propane in it and started it up and worked pretty good. He went in the house to get his wallet and <laughs> came back to go to town to take his sister to dinner. And he came back out with his wallet and his cigar and got in that Plymouth, struck a match, light that cigar, and blew all four doors off. Off that Plymouth and sends every hair on it. <laughs> but didn't burn him. 
and he drove into town with the doors blown off of that bus. <laughs> Leaking propane. God damn it, he said, oh, there's something wrong with his car. He said, I haven't figured it out. And his, his mother said, well, Lori, you look in the mirror? And he said, well, I said, I know I'm kind of dirty being on a tractor all day. <laughs> I got no hair. <laughs> anyway, a true story. But I can just see this guy. It's just, I've seen a lot of those farmers out there in those days that uh, were that way. They were just just caked in that dust from running the disc with the plow or whatever they were doing out there. But God, in fact, when you we take off from the Garden City Airport and head west towards Colorado, you could you could see a farmer out there working on a tractor, and you just knew that he was, you know, because there was a big cloud right behind him everywhere he went. You just knew that. He was just covered in that shit. Every once in a while, you'd see him. They'd come as far as Garden City. You'd see him at the auto parts store or the tire shop, and you think, "God, did you ever have a bath?" You know, <laughs> probably did this morning. But that's just the way that that's the way it works. That old dirt was out there. But and that is this season of the podcast. That's it. Thank you all so much for listening and sharing this with others. According to the analytics, there's like 427 of you after 13 weeks, which I think is remarkable given that I haven't really done that much outreach or that kind of stuff. So that's kind of cool. So I'm so glad that 427 of you at least bothered to subscribe. I think that's good. I hope you stay subscribed. And uh, in the meantime, I'll be shoring up both my recording and editing skills so that it'll give it a little bit more spit and polish. I plugged stuff last week. I'm going to plug stuff again today, July 18th. In Chicago at G-Man Tavern is Identity Flip. July 20th is the debut of the sickest fucking stories I ever heard. You can find out about those and buy tickets at literateape.com slash events. On July 23rd, I'll be starting the Woodshed Storytelling Workshop. This is not a workshop for first-time storytellers. This is sort of a master class to really break down some fundamentals and get people uh, nailed. Somebody asked me uh, the other day what it was going to be entailed. They were looking for a class that would have a lot of critique. And the way I put it was about 25% of each workshop is going to be content discussion, talking about techniques and things that can be used. About 25% will then be exercises that the storytellers in the room can then employ and work on and kind of put in their toolkit and then the other 50% will be actually getting up on stage telling stories taking critique talking about what works what doesn't work and how everybody can improve so hopefully if you are a storyteller and you're listening to this podcast and you're interested go to literateape.com slash workshops and sign up if you can't make all six workshops that's fine uh, for $25 cash only you show up at the location on the website and jump in there will be walk-ins and I'll take your money and you can participate so I hope you've enjoyed the journeys these 13 episodes and if you dig what you heard do me a favor subscribe to future podcasts uh, on iTunes Stitcher casts or any of the other billion podcast apps out there also I know I keep saying it I'm gonna keep saying it review the show on iTunes do me do me a solid Just get on there and give me a short review. Don't care. Share it with someone you think might enjoy it. That's kind of how this stuff works. Peculiar Journeys is produced in my apartment on the third floor above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. 
Everything is recorded on the Shure Motive app on an iPad Pro using the Shure MV88 microphone. For more episodes, go to iTunes or visit DonHallChicago.com. Rock and roll, I'll see you in six weeks.